may be thinking heaven is our final destination. Now, some of you may be thinking, last time Jonathan entered the U.S., uh, he was profiled as a possible Arab. And they detained him and questioned him. And during that interrogation, Jonathan was explaining that he was a missionary with an organization called YWAM. And as the officer listened to what that organization was doing, they said, you know, you're not actually helping anyone. You're really not doing any good. And that's a very valid observation, because if heaven and hell don't exist, then Christians are wasting their time. Our efforts are in vain. But if heaven and hell do exist, then Christians are involved in the most important work in the world, more important than fighting terrorists or saving the planet or fixing the economy or curing cancer or winning the Stanley Cup. Nothing is more important than inviting people to spend eternity in heaven through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you. And you're going to start witnessing. And it's going to start in Jerusalem and then spread into Judea and then even into Samaria and finally to the ends of the earth. In this verse, Jesus identifies four opportunities that we have to be his witnesses and spread the good news. The first place is Jerusalem. Now, think about it. For the disciples, Jerusalem was the worst possible place to start because that's where they experienced their greatest defeat. That's where Judas defected, where Peter denied, where all the others deserted. It was a disaster. They would never be able to show their faces in Jerusalem again. And Jerusalem was also the place of the greatest danger. Hatred toward Christ and his followers had simmered for years until it finally erupted in Jerusalem. The crucifixion was the greatest hate crime in history. And that hatred was still molten. It could flare up at any time. Jerusalem was a dangerous place. That's where they had experienced their greatest defeat. But that also made it ideal for the greatest demonstration of God's grace. It all began in Jerusalem. So, do you have a Jerusalem in your life? A place where you failed? A person you betrayed? Where did you make your biggest mistake? If we want to be witnesses of Christ, we may have to start with the people who have seen us at our worst. Because the place of our greatest defeat is an opportunity for the greatest demonstration of God's power to change lives. So I definitely have a Jerusalem. Um, I'm obviously a pastor's kid. I was born into this church, but when I was three, uh, my parents moved to Edmonton and were at Northgate Baptist Church for quite a few years. I remember the exact number. Um, when I went into my, uh, I was going to say senior year of high school, I've been living in the States for 12 years, but grade 12 for a Canadian audience, um, I, I threw my faith away because I just determined I wanted to figure out life for myself. And so um, I quickly ended up uh, doing drugs. And uh, one, 
one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, as a, I was a complete drug addict, and uh, eventually also became a drug dealer um, in Edmonton. So I lived that lifestyle for about two and a half years, and uh, it was during that time, kind of right, right when that was getting started, I was still going to Northgate, still going to youth group, and um, word had kind of spread around that I was involved in, in these kinds of things. And uh, people started to treat me a little bit differently. Um, and I, I got very angry, and I left the church. I, I hated God, I hated Christians, and I wanted nothing to do with them ever again. Um, so it's, it's a very long story, but um, eventually I kind of came to a place where I realized the direction my life was headed in. And I prayed and I asked God if he was real to save me from a life that I couldn't bring myself out of. I, I tried. I was horribly um, addicted. Uh, and he answered my prayer. Um, shortly after that, I got mono, uh, which was actually wonderful because I slept all the drugs out of my system. I couldn't be awake for more than three or four hours of the day. And, um, and God put YWAM on my heart, Youth with a Mission. And uh, they have a discipleship training school program. It's six months long. And so I just emailed 20 different bases and asked, you know, if, how can I get out of here as quickly as possible and, and give God an opportunity to reveal himself to me and, and really start a relationship with him. So uh, the New York base got back to me the next day. Three days later, I was gone. Spent six months with the Lord. That's where I really gave my life to God. That's where I got my call for missions. But it was during that time that the Lord started to convict me about how I had treated Northgate. Now, um, I was still very bitter toward them because of how they treated me. But the Lord was showing me, even though maybe they, they, weren't, uh, they didn't do everything correctly, your attitude toward them was sinful. You know, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. And in those years that I was a drug addict, I was gossiping about them. There was hatred in my heart toward them. And the Lord convicted me on those things. And I, I, was, I was very against um, repenting to them all the way up until my discipleship training school ended and I had an opportunity to speak in front of the church. Um, it was, it was, uh, we were on the way to church. I was in uh, the van with my dad and the Lord again put his finger on that point in my life. He said, I want you to repent. You need to repent. And I finally threw up my hands and said, okay, God, I'll do it. So um, I gave a report about my life the, you know, the, the years as an addict and then going into YWAM. And, uh, and I stood in front of them and I repented. I told them the attitude that I had toward them, that it was sinful, that it was wrong, and that, um, that I, you know, I was not living in a right way. And uh, I, I forgave them because if it would have been me and there would have been someone else in, in, you know, in the youth group that had been involved in that, I probably wouldn't have known what to do either. I might have treated them differently as well. And it was nothing... Nothing that they did wrong, you know, it was, I, I, I owned that. Um, and so I, I repented to them, half the congregation was crying, and the Lord restored our relationship. They're still my greatest uh, supporters, the people of those church. And um, the Lord really did a, an amazing work just from me humbling myself. And so that was my Jerusalem, the people who knew me, the people who um, invested into my life, and those are the people that I, I left. Um, but the Lord gave me an opportunity to come back and uh, restore that relationship. So. When Jonathan was going through these things, one of the youth said, Jonathan's going to hell, ha, ha, ha. And that never left me. That 
made me extremely angry towards that person. And the interesting thing is that person became a youth pastor and I eventually found myself on staff with him. And so I had to deal with some of that stuff too. But is there a Jerusalem in your life? Who are the people who've seen you at your worst? Because those people have the opportunity to see the greatest transformation that other people wouldn't even be aware of or appreciate. It starts in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem was surrounded by the province of Judea. This represents people who are part of our culture. They live in our neighborhood. They may not know very much about us, but maybe we have something in common with them. We experience the same weather. We cheer for the same teams. We complain about the same politicians. We pay the same gas prices. We have the, the same parole officer, whatever. And that's why I joined uh, photography clubs, because I have something in common with people who are very serious about improving their photographic skills. Judea could represent uh, the people at your gym or the gals in your yoga class, uh, the regulars at the dog park, the parents of the other kids on the team. It's not that hard to talk to Judeans because you have something in common. So what kind of connections have you made in Judea? Uh, I'd mentioned that I went to New York. That's where I did my discipleship training school. And I, I was there for five years. That's where I met my wife. We had our first son. And the ministry we were involved with there was uh, a performing arts ministry. Uh, we put on a big multimedia presentation um, that dealt with bullying and violence. And uh, uh, it was kind of like a Broadway-style type of show. Um, but we would uh, we'd do that show in the schools, and then we'd invite kids to a church in the evening where we'd do the same show, but we would carry it out into a gospel presentation. So in, in the schools, our message was, you have value. And in the evenings, the message was, this is where your value comes from. Um, so it was this really amazing uh, opportunity for me because I had just destroyed my life uh, with drugs, but then God gave me a platform where I could share the gospel with people. And uh, I could share the gospel with kids who were either struggling or thinking about getting involved in that kind of thing um, or, you know, had come out of it. I was able to encourage them, share the gospel with them. And we, we saw thousands of kids come to know Jesus all across America in the five years that I was with that ministry. Um, so that was absolutely incredible, just being able to um, use kind of where I had been in life to connect with people, as well as just being a student. I, you know, at that time, I was only a few years out of high school. And so we actually had a lot in common. And I was able to speak to them where they were at in life and, uh, and just share what God had done in my life and encourage them, lead some of them to Christ and that kind of thing. So, yeah. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. If Judea represents the people we have something in common with, Samaria is the opposite. Jews and Samaritans avoided each other at all costs. Samaria represents the people that we're uncomfortable with. It's, there's us and then there's them and they're not like us, so stay away from them. In high school, there's a strict apartheid system. The geeks don't talk to the skaters. The jocks don't mix with the goths. The cheerle cheerleaders avoid the feminists. 
It's just like the New Testament. You had Jews and Greeks, free men, slaves. Now Jesus went out of his way to encounter those who were different, the Samaritans. And led by the Holy Spirit, Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Over the years, God has gotten my wife and I involved with all kinds of people that we didn't have a lot in common with. Bikers, New Agers, convicts, prostitutes, gays and lesbians, leaders of occultic movements. And the interesting thing about that was that we found them surprisingly interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw a number of them accept Christ and become transformed through him. There are some great opportunities, even in Samaria. So uh, talk about feeling uncomfortable. Um, when I went to New York, I was, I was so uncomfortable. Uh, I came from here, you know, where people are, are known to be very polite and very kind. They hold the door open for you, they say hello. But in New York, people kind of, they're, they're more um, direct. They'll tell you exactly what they think of you, and that's not always a good thing. Um, so I was surrounded by these people who were just being very, very honest with each other, you know. Um, a lot of cuss words were thrown out there. Um, you know, like if, there was, if someone had a problem with someone, they would just, they'd just come out and say it, you know. And I was just surrounded by these people where I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I'd be in meetings and people were talking over each other. No one's giving each other, like no one's listening, you know, and everyone's talking over each other. And I, I didn't even know what to do. Like, how do I engage with these people? Um, but uh, after a, a couple years, I started to actually see the value in them, you know, in, in that type of communication. And um, it's, it's actually really cool because it, in every culture, there's, there's something that you can learn. Like, th there's deposits of, of God's character in every culture. Of course, there's things that need to be redeemed. Um, but, but, you know, there are some cultures, like in the Middle East, for instance, these people understand hospitality on a level that we have no idea about. Um, our teams that go there, they'll walk down the street and people will come and bring them into their homes and feed them, you know, and, and they want to hear about their lives and, you know, they just open their homes to total strangers just by walking down the street. Like sometimes you can't even get to where you want to go because people are just pulling you in and they just want to, they want to know you. Why are you here? How can I bless you? You know, just absolutely incredible. Um, but uh, I, I had to get over my own prejudice in New York. Uh, just the way that people communicated and that kind of thing. Um, but like I said, I started to see the value in it because there was nothing hidden. Everything was out in the open. And I, I think there is, there is value to that, as long as it's done the correct way. Um, but had I not kind of overcome that prejudice, um, I wouldn't have embraced those people and, and learned a lot about my own life. The Lord did a, a big work in my life just by being around people different than myself. Uh, one of them, for instance, there was a guy named John, and uh, he was a New Yorker. And I got to know him pretty well. He became a good friend of ours. Uh, he came on tour with us once when we were touring in the public schools. And he was our sound guy. Well, after a while of building a relationship with this guy, um, he wasn't a Christian, but it was on one of our tours that I, I had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord. And uh, I just look back on that and I think, man, like if I would have held on to my prejudice, if I would have been, if I would have had the attitude of, you're different than me, you know, it, it's me and it's you, and I'm not going to embrace you as a friend, I never would have got that chance to lead him to Jesus, or be that example to him. Um, so I, yeah, it's, it's super important with the people who are so different from us to see the value in, in who they are, to call out the gift of God that's in each person around you, 
um, because we can all learn from each other. And I've found even um, the students that I've had, now that I staff these schools that I took, the students that are totally different from me, they end up being the biggest blessing in my life because they teach me more about myself than the people that I get along with or the people that I understand. And I think it's really important to get to know different kinds of people because the Lord can work so much in your own life. In fact, when you're driving in the freeways around New York City, don't ever signal if you want to change a lane because if you signal, they speed up and block it. That's just, that's just what they do. It gives away your next move, yeah. and you don't want to do that. You have to start moving over and then signal, because you'll never get out of there. It's just amazing. It's a different culture. It's a, very interesting. The fourth opportunity for evangelism and being witnesses of Christ is to the ends of the earth. That's when you get your inoculations and malaria medicine, and you head for Haiti or Uganda or Papua New Guinea. And of course, this has become a lot less complicated because uh, we don't even need a passport anymore because immigrants from the ends of the earth are moving into our neighborhoods. It's just fantastic. What an opportunity we have to give them a warm welcome and to help them get established and to explain those very strange Canadian customs like the Tim Hortons double-double. What kind of sorcery is this? And that's why Edie and I have gotten involved with FOCUS. It's the International Students Ministry at Alpha, or at the university, and also with the Alpha program. And at FOCUS, there's about 100 students and professors that come every Friday for a free meal, for some games, and some gospel. And it's amazing how open they are. There's a lot of people who don't want to hear about uh, the Bible or about Jesus in our society. But the internationals are just so eager to listen to what the Bible says. They're not offended. They're actually curious. And we're seeing people getting saved through that. So some of the best opportunities we have right here in Canada are with the newcomers to our country. Yeah, the Lord is always on the move. You know, he's doing different things in different parts of the world. And uh, sometimes there's an open door, an open window into a certain people group or a country. And uh, that's why uh, mission work is so important, to be able to capitalize on those opportunities. So I'm sure you've heard about the, um, the refugee crisis. We call that the refugee opportunity, because these people are open, and actually um, the, the countries that they come from that are typically close to the gospel, these people are now going to other countries that are open, and we have an opportunity to share with them. Plus the people themselves, they're open to hear about the Lord. Um, so uh, we do a lot of work with, uh, with Muslim countries, and, uh, and we've taken this refugee opportunity, uh, and we're trying to send as many teams as possible. About a year ago, uh, a little bit more than a year ago, we sent a team to Greece, um, and there was a, a refugee camp set up there uh, that was in a, an old stadium. So our team was trying to get in, and the, the leadership, the, the Greeks that were in charge of that stadium, they weren't letting our team come in. And so our, our team were praying and praying, and we just, we couldn't, they wouldn't let us come in. These are Syrian refugees. Yeah, Syrian refugees, that's yeah. right. Um, so one time in a, in a prayer time, uh, one of the people got uh, a word from the Lord that they should ask to clean the, the bathrooms in the stadium. And so the leaders went to uh, the, the people in charge of the stadium, and they said, hey, can we come in and just clean the bathrooms? And the leadership was 
pretty blown away. Like, why would you want to do that? And they're like, well, we would just like to, to serve you. That's, we came all the way here. If that's all you let us do, you know, we'll do that. So they let them come in. And um, apparently these restrooms were, were terrible. Um, but they got their bleach and their gloves and their mops and they, from you know, ceiling to floor, they, uh, they cleaned the whole thing. Well, while they were cleaning, there were some Muslim men that came in and they asked them, why are you doing this? So they told them, we're here from America, we're uh, Christians, and we believe in Jesus, we believe that he loves you, and that uh, this is the kind of thing that Jesus would do. He would serve you. Um, and these men were completely dumbfounded that people would come all the way from America and, and with this message of love and servant-heartedness. And 12 of them ended up giving their lives to Jesus that day. So our, our team left, and you know, keep in mind, they were only in the, in the camp for one day. Um, our team left, and then another team from another YWAM base in Kona, they came in afterward, and they were allowed to come into the, uh, the um, refugee camp because of our team who served. And so now the door was open to YWAM. Uh, this team saw that group of 12 turn into 52. They added 50 to their numbers. And then about a year later, another one of our teams went back to the same place, and those 52 had grown, uh, they'd added another 100 to their numbers. So they'd started a small church in that uh, Muslim refugee camp in Greece of over 150 men, not including women. I don't, I don't know how many women and children were involved in that, but I just, I just heard reports of the men. 150 former Muslim men um, that were now believers and had started a church in that community. It really is incredible what God is doing amongst the Muslims. I actually know of a, a, a YWAM missionary. He walks around in Syri Syrian refugee camps. Um, he'll walk in from tent to tent. He'll, wa he'll walk in and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm just wondering, has anyone here had a dream about the man in white? And about half of them every time will raise their hand and say, yeah, I, I dream about him every night. And then he'll tell them, well, that's Jesus. And he'll share the gospel with them. And so many of them are giving their lives to God because Jesus is after these people. He wants them. He loves them. And he's on the move. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm really passionate about sharing these stories with you guys because we don't often hear what God is doing in the nations in our churches. This is just a, a taste of what God is doing. He's really on the move. He's doing amazing works um, among all kinds of people all over the world. <laughs> As we moved down to uh, Calgary from Edmonton, we ran into a guy who was the son of an imam in Iraq. And uh, he became a Christian through a dream of Jesus. And there are so many Muslims who are having these dreams and, and being converted. And it's all because the Holy Spirit is at work. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Father, we thank you that uh, those words spoken 2,000 years ago are still so valid and relevant. The work has never stopped. The power has never been withdrawn. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would identify the places in our lives where that power can be manifested to give us boldness and to make us witnesses for you. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to stand together for our closing song and then just remain standing for further instructions. going to sing a song that's uh, a little bit new, I think, to some of us, maybe all of us. But the chorus says, Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us. Son of God and man, you're high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. And it's the name of Jesus that the Spirit is moving in the power of Jesus. It's his Spirit that's uh, reaching the nations that's in our hearts, but uh, on the move. So, um, he is so worthy of our praise. So let's, uh, uh, though it's a new song, feel free to sing. If you just want to listen, if you just want to dwell in the Spirit of the Lord, please do that. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. Thou condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Every fear. Has no place at the sound of your great name. The enemy, he has to leave at the sound of your great name. Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up. And all the world will praise your great name. All the weak find their strength at the sound of your great name a hungry souls receive their grace at the sound of your great name the fatherless they find their rest at the sound of your great name the sick are healed and the dead are raised at the sound of your great name Jesus worthy is the lamb that was slain for us son of God and man you are high and lifted up and all the world will praise your great name, your great name. Redeemed. 
Redeemer, my healer, Lord Almighty, my Savior, Defender, you are my King. Redeemer, my healer, Lord Almighty, my Savior, Defender, you are my King. Jesus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name, your great name, your great Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, your Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Would you please be seated for just a moment? We have a little bit of time left this morning, and we would like to ask you to give God the next five minutes in prayer. And uh, just listen. To me, the most important part of prayer is just listening. It's not what we say. It's what God says to us. This is the ideal place for us to hear his voice. God may say something to you related to what we shared from the book of Acts or something else. Just give him five minutes. I'm going to ask the guys to keep playing softly. And uh, Jonathan and I are going to be in the front here. If anybody wants to come up for prayer, we'll be right here. If you want to go pray with somebody in the church, if you want to just go to somebody who you know needs encouragement, you want to pray for them, do it. Let's give God these next minutes and uh, just see what happens. Let's become quiet before the Lord. And after that time, you can just be dismissed. As soon as they stop playing, we're, we're all dismissed.